You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. What we believe about God is the most important thing about us. Not only will it shape everything that you do in this life, literally, what you believe about God shapes everything that you do in this life. Or what you don't believe about God shapes everything that you do in this life. But also, and even more importantly, it affects where you will spend eternity after this life is over. So we're in week two of our series on the Apostles' Creed where we are looking at this historic creed and emphasizing the core beliefs that the Apostles' Creed summarizes for us. The reason the Apostles' Creed is important is because, here's the reason, the Apostles' Creed contains essential Christian doctrines and beliefs that summarize the gospel and make up the foundation of our faith. It gives us a summary, if you will. When someone asks us what we believe or, or what we are living our life for, instead of starting and reading in the beginning from Genesis 1-1 and going all the way to the book of Revelation, which nobody's going to have time for, then you're going to be able to need to summarize what you believe. And the Apostles' Creed does that. It's, it's a summary of what the Bible teaches, a concise statement of basic Christianity. It conveys the essence of what we confess with our mouths and live with our lives and believe as the body of Christ. It doesn't take away from the Bible. It does it replace the Bible? The Apostles' Creed supports and points to God's Word. It accurately summarizes what the Bible teaches. It gives us digestible, if you will, statements in order to equip us as Christians with summaries of the faith so that we know what we believe. Last week, we covered the importance of belief by looking at the three words that start off the Apostles' Creed, I believe in. If you missed that and you want to go back and start at the beginning of this series, you can watch online, subscribe to our YouTube channel, listen to the podcast, and I would encourage you to do so whenever you are uh, unable to be with us, or maybe this is your first time. But when I said, and we taught a little bit of review, I believe in, I'm talking about more than just mental assent or, or cognitive acknowledgement of who God is. I'm talking about saving faith. I'm talking about a relationship, not something that's just transactional, but something that is relational, which is more than intellectual acceptance of some sort of theological proposition. It's a relationship with the God of the universe. It goes deeper than something that I just know in my head. It goes to the very core of our being, what the greatest commandment says. It goes to our ability to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. This is the kind of belief that we're talking about, our whole inner being, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we say belief, we're talking not just understanding or knowing theological facts, but true belief is having a life that has verifiable actions that attest to what I believe. I believe with a, a heart devotion instead of just a head knowledge. There's a lot of people that have a lot of head knowledge, but there's no heart devotion. And what does heart devotion mean? It means that my life shows what I believe. The type of belief which is saving faith belief means you rely on, you commit to, you trust in something. And in this case, I rely on, I commit to, I trust in God alone. Consequently, this is the statement we made last week and we'll make throughout this series, your belief 
will lead to actions, and your actions will verify what you believe in. So moving on in the Apostles' Creed, the first truth, the doctrine, we believe in God as Father. I believe in, what does that mean? I rely on, I commit to, I trust in God alone. That's who I believe in. And, and we can say this about every relationship that we have, to the degree that you trust, to the degree that you rely on, to the degree that you're committed to, whatever it is, your spouse, your friends, your church, your job, is to the degree that you will do those things rightly and well. That's why what you believe about God will affect everything that you do in this life. Because the same way that I'm committed to God is the same way that I will be committed to the things that God has blessed me with in this life. The same way that I will live and love the way God has taught me to. So I believe in what, this is where we're moving forward today, God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. There is no more important belief in this world for us to trust in than that of God as our Father. There is nothing more important than that relationship with him. And it's so important on multiple levels. And the first thing being this about what we believe, that our God is intimately personal and infinitely powerful at the same time. He is both father, but he's not just any father. He's father almighty, infinitely powerful, but also intimately personal. And I'm so glad for that. This sets him apart from every other comparison that will fall woefully short in this life, but it also defines the heart behind all that God has done, all that he currently does, and all that he will do. It is the heart of the Father with which everything that he does works through, and it is the power with which he is able to do it, almighty, that we affirm in this creed. Before he was creator, he was father and has always been father. So let's first focus on that word, the father. And notice I said the father and not a father because he's not a father. He is the father through which all fathers are measured, not the other way around. God is not measured or defined by human standards. We as humans are defined by God's holy standards. But this is why this is so important. What God's word tells us and what we have to believe is that an ideal father actually does exist, but it's God the father, not a Godfather. That wouldn't be an ideal father at all. Now I'm talking about God the father. Some of y'all are like catching up a little bit so before your time. I don't want a Godfather. I want God the father. And that's who he is. And this is good to remember. It's good to remind us. It's good to affirm. That's why we have something like the Apostles' Creed. Because believing in God as Father is not just one of the most important beliefs that you will ever have in this life, but it's probably one of the most difficult beliefs that you'll ever have at the same time. And the reason being is because we have experience in our own eyes that acts as a filter to how we understand God as Father. All of us have an experience with a father in some way, and regardless of whether he was present or absent, affectionate or distant, tender, tough, or even abusive, somehow he has shaped us far more than you realize. 
in painful cases, and I know there are plenty of those to go around, probably it has shaped your view of God more than you want or are willing to admit. It has shaped the way you live life more than you want or are willing to admit. Our earthly fathers not only shape who we are, they shape how we think, how we feel, how we behave, and how we love. But ultimately and inevitably, after all of that, they alter for better or for worse how we think, feel, behave, and love towards God as our Father. But this is what we have to affirm, and this is what we have to remember, and this is what we have to believe. God the Father defines what a human father must be like, not the other way around. You have to remember no matter how bad or even how good, and this is important because oftentimes we say, no matter how bad your father was, no, listen to me, no matter how good your father was, you still have to be aware that no other earthly relationship compares to that of our heavenly father. We have to make sure that no matter how bad or good, that our view of God is shaped by God and his word and nothing else. Yes, we can have good examples. That's helpful. And yes, there could be things in this life that point us to the love of the Father in some shadow or shape, but nothing compares to God as Father. Before there were fathers, there was the Father. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 tells us, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He is Father. That is preeminent about his character. And the fact that while Jesus was on earth that he called God my Father and he prayed to him as Abba, which is just an Aramaic, Aramaic equivalent to Dad, it speaks volumes of this truth for us to believe when we say we believe in God the Father Almighty. And when the New Testament speaks about God's fatherhood, and it does, here's what it's saying. It first speaks to the relational life of the triune God, that we understand God as the Trinity as best as we can because it's still a mystery and we can't wrap our minds around it. But within that relationship, there is a father and a son. So God the Father, when we affirm that, speaks to the relational life within the triune God. We affirm and believe that within the eternal trinity, in God's own relationship, there is a family relation of father and son. That's why God has always been father. The fact that Jesus is the son concretely supports the fatherhood of God. Why? From the very fact that son means he has a father. That is who God has revealed himself to be. And this is so important. This is who he is preeminently, God, his father. He's not first and foremost creator. He's not first and foremost ruler, but he is father. He is father. Therefore, all that he does, he does as a father. That's who he is. He creates as a father, and that's good to know. He rules as a father, and that's good to know. He loves as a father. He disciplines and corrects as a father, and this is so important. Yes, he's almighty, but he's father. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The fact that the Son loves the Father and the Father loves the Son lets us know that the standard for His relationship to us 
is the model that we have to follow ourselves, that we follow in our own parenthood, that we follow in our own relationships with our spouse, that we follow in our own relationships with one another. Our love for one another should correspond to the mutual love of the Father and the Son in the Godhead. Mutual love, mutual submission, mutual And oftentimes, that's not how it works in a lot of our relationships. We have a lot of one-way relationships, a lot of dominating, a lot of domineering, a lot of demanding. And that's not how a husband is supposed to be. That's not how a father is supposed to be. It's mutual. Now let's talk about how God becomes our father. How do we become children of God? Well, this highlights the second way in which the New Testament speaks of God as Father, and it has to do with adoption. Scripture tells us we become children of God as we are united with Christ and adopted into God's family. So God the Father speaks to our adoption as sons and daughters. God the Father, when we affirm that, I believe in God the Father, God the Father speaks to the relational life within the triune God, the family relationship within the Trinity, and then also it speaks to our adoption as sons and daughters. Again, this is so important to your identity in Christ today. Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Or 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. I love how that verse ends. And so we are. Just as a matter of fact, believing and affirming this again and again is so important to your identity. That's why I said what you believe about God affects everything that you do. It affects what you think about yourself and how you operate in this life. Your identity, how you live your life today is affected by you understanding that you're a son or daughter of the King, of God, the Father, if you've given your life to Him. That all true worship begins with our adoption. All prayer, all praise, all singing, all of our relating to God begins with us being able to come to him as father. As a matter of fact, just a moment ago, we were all singing about being sons and daughters. That's because he's our father. Not just because I'm a son or just because you're a daughter or a brother or sister. No, we're that. We're family because we have the same father. And that then gives us the ability to worship together the same Father, and we honor him with all of that. And it begins with the fact that he's welcomed us in to his arms as Father. That's what Jesus won for us on the cross. We don't come in our own merit. We don't come by our good deeds. We don't come because we did something well on the way to church this morning. We come because of the cross. When he went to the cross, he paid the immeasurable price to adopt us for our adoption to make us sons and daughters of the living God. He paid for our adoption with the blood of the Son. Now, as an adoptive parent myself, I understand the earthly expense to adopt children in this life, particularly as the case that we did, adopting two children internationally, which is a more and a greater expense. But it's worth that, right? You don't think about the expense. You don't think about the amount of money because of the fact that you're adding a son, you're adding a daughter. And even for us, as difficult as that may be in this life with our own 
intricate and difficult relationships, think about how much more valuable you and I are to God that if we would go to those great links for earthly children, the great links that God has gone to for us, it's infinitely worth it to him. You are valuable to God that he would not even spare his one and only son in order to purchase your adoption through the blood of Christ. How does that make you feel? It should make you feel overwhelmed by the love of the Father. I'll keep reiterating this and how important it is that we relate to God this way because he is both intimately personal and infinitely powerful. He is Father Almighty. It was in fact Jesus himself that taught us the theological and relational importance of how we relate to God when he taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And he started this way, our Father. He didn't, start any, he didn't say our Creator, our Ruler, our Omnipotent God. He said our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This not only imply, implies that we are, to, uh, uh, are allowed to pray to God this way, but that we are specifically taught to pray to God this way. As Father. This is how we come to God. As Father God. This is how we always approach God. There's an infinite intimacy in that statement. Father in heaven. Right? There's a transcendence because he's in heaven, but there's an intimacy because he's our father. And this is mind-boggling that he gives us the right to be called sons and daughters and tells us to approach him as a benevolent and good father. Even though he's almighty and in heaven and transcendent, we still get to come to him as children. That's mind-boggling. Tim Keller states that when John says in 1 John 3, 1, which I just read a moment ago, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we can be called children of God. He's saying, he's asking, from what planet or what world does this kind of love even come from? It's unlike anything that you've ever seen, unlike anything we could compare it to. It's not from our world. It's not like any love a human could ever give. It is otherworldly. It is completely set apart. It is God, the Father Almighty. I love how the NIV translation says this. It says this is the kind of love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word, the imagery of just lavishing something amazing on someone that we love. To be called his children, understanding the fatherhood of God begins with learning to be truly, extravagantly, tenaciously loved by God this way as your father. And this verse encapsulates what it means to truly be his child. Jesus says this, right, that our father in heaven is a good father. He is is loving, he is kind, he's merciful. He doesn't give you divided attention like maybe your earthly father does and does. I know I do. Hey, Dad. Yeah? Dad. What? Dad. What? (laughs) Am I the only one that does that? Jesus says our Father in heaven doesn't give divided attention. When we talk to him, we know that he hears. When we pray to him and ask him and petition to him and cry out to him and lament before him, we know that he listens. And better yet, he always knows what's best for us. Listen, if I'm honest, I don't always know what's best for my kids. There's a lot that I have to work through. And there's a lot of times I get questions that I'm like, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. 
But God's never that way. He's never stumbling around for an answer. He's never stumbling around for what's best. He always knows what's best. Like a good father, he also knows what we need, and he's able to provide for our every need. He knows how to mold us. He knows how to discipline and correct us, and we all need that. It makes him happy to be able to love us this way. He delights in us. He actually wants us. No one forced him to begrudgingly take us in, and there was nothing that we could have done to earn it. There's nothing we could do to make him love us or accept us more than he already does and what he's done through Jesus Christ. No number of good deeds or willpower to do better things could bring you into the family of God. Only Christ could, and we are his because he has made us his. We are rightfully his to begin with, and then amazingly, he bought us back through Jesus on the cross. Not because we were born into a certain family or a country or not because we earned it or not because of the color of our skin, but because before the foundations of the world, God chose to adopt us in Christ and buy us back through Jesus. That's what his word tells us. I was telling the first service, and it's not some grand story, but just a little bit of a comparison just to break up all of my hollering and yelling. It's not hollering or yelling. It's passionate communication. That's, that's what it's always been. And we, hollering and yelling. I'll, I'll keep hollering. Um, we had a yard sale, garage sale, some years ago um, at a previous house. And, you know, y'all, if any of y'all have done those, y'all know what a, a, a joy and pain in the butt that they are at the same time, right? Um, uh, that you could literally, you know, decide to uh, leave your spouse after one of those things, and then you want to go out to eat dinner with the money that you earned after it. So, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of both and. Um, so we have ours. We got everything in the garage, and uh, we're, we've got some friends that are helping us, and, uh, you know, and then it's hard because there's people everywhere, and you're trying to make sure that everything gets taken care of, and if everybody's asking you questions, how much for this, how much for this, how much, will you take this, will you take this? No! You know, so it's like, well, I don't want it anyway, sure. You know, so, um, but anyway, my wife, uh, Carla, she was uh, out there, and she had a pair of sunglasses, and they're probably, I don't know, $250 pair of sunglasses or something like that, um, Maui gems, and, 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 and she had laid them down on the table, right? And so later on, we were uh, going around, and she's like, she goes, she's like, where, where, where are my sunglasses? And uh, I'm like, I don't know, I haven't seen them. She goes, I put them right here on this table. And then her friend goes, well, I sold them. She's like, for $5. It's like, wait a minute now, you sold my sunglasses for $5 to somebody that just knows that they got one whale of a deal. And they're like, they're never coming back. They're not coming back. And it's like, we even, look, we even drove around looking for the car. Literally, we, we, it's like, I knew the lady, I know what her car looks like. We went around every neighborhood around our neighborhood looking for this car. Because why? Because those were our sunglasses and we were willing to go buy them back. <laughs> now, the analogy is, is lost a little bit in the funny story, but the point is, is that you, in the beginning of creation, Ephesians says, belong to God, you were made in his image, you belong to him, the enemy laid claim to our life, and even though you belong to him, he sent his son Jesus to the cross to buy you back. 
Ephesians says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And this purpose of his will was to give his one and only son to take our place and to pay the debt that we owed and could never pay, that while we were still sinners deserving death, he demonstrated his love for us, and our gracious Savior took our death and the wrath of God upon himself and at the cross Jesus conquered it so that we wouldn't get what we deserve but instead we would receive mercy and as John 1 says grace upon grace he took what we deserve so that we could have what he deserved and that's the right to be called sons and daughters of God. So believing this and knowing this you know what this means this should affect how we worship God. Like worship is our response to who God is and what God has done. His love for us and what he's done in loving actions towards us. So we respond with loving worship. As Keevan said a moment ago, worship is love responding to the great love of the Father. The truth that God would give his one only son in order to make us his sons and daughters should elicit a response of amazement, of wonder, and of awe and gratitude. Not just on Sunday, but certainly on Sunday as we gather together as his family. That's why sometimes I look around and worship. I want to see the other sons and daughters and how we're responding to our father together. But it also should be something that we do in our life. Reminds me of a modern hymn that sang years ago when I would lead worship, how great the father's, how deep the father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How could I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. That he would buy us back. He would pay the ransom. And that we are redeemed and adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. And this should cause us to explode in worship to God as grateful children to our Father. Since we're talking about the worship of this kind of belief elicits, let's go on and point out the Apostles' Creed does not merely affirm I believe in God the Father, but also it says I believe in God the Father Almighty. It actually puts those together. Remember God is intimately personal and infinitely powerful at the same time. And this affirms what Scripture tells us, that God is Almighty. One of God's names in the Old Testament that we talked about in January in our series is that He is El Shaddai. That means He is God Almighty. He's Almighty God. It's one of the most frequently used names of God in the Bible. And a better foundational meaning of El Shaddai should be an overpower. He is the overpower, which emphasizes his power to achieve all of his purposes. The Lord's strength is absolutely perfect. It cannot be increased. It cannot be diminished. Ultimately, it is impossible for anyone or anything to keep God from fulfilling and accomplishing his sovereign purposes. He is more than able to overpower whatever tries to overpower you in this life. His arm is not too weak to intervene into our lives and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. This affirmation of God's absolute sovereignty over all things then drives everything that follows after in this creed. He is first and foremost Father Almighty. And then everything else that we're going to talk about throughout the series flows out of the fact that he's an almighty father. Oftentimes we can get caught up in arguments about God's almightiness, his sovereignty in essence. As we have a penchant to do, we like to argue about things. 
Okay, y'all don't. Y'all just are very agreeable. I see that. But others, other people, they like to argue about things, particularly about the sovereignty of God. They argue about God's sovereignty, what it means, what it doesn't mean, what it means to me, what it doesn't mean to me. But the Bible says God's sovereignty is supposed to be a matter of worship, not a matter of disagreement. That he's sovereign. And that makes me want to worship him, that he's Father Almighty, a Father that can do anything that he desires, the Father who possesses all power, the one who spoke and created everything by the power of his word, and the one who rules both now and forever, the one who is from the beginning to the end. This is the basis of our trust, our peace, and our joy in God. If a morally perfect God is in control and nothing can dethrone him or thwart his purposes of love, then because he is also our father, then we as his children can say, okay, I'm good. Everything's going to be all right. Have you ever had somebody look at you and you're going through something very difficult and they just say, listen, I know this is difficult. I know this is painful. I know this is hard. I know this feels like this is never going to end. But because you're a son or a daughter of God, Everything's going to be all right. We're good. And when you have God behind you, ahead of you, beside you, with you, in you, right, you know you're good. It's like, you know, for me as a kid, I was a little bit slight in stature. I'm not as slight as I used to be, but everything doesn't go to where I want it to go. It just goes right here. So, but listen, I, I was small. I was skinny. And, and, but when, you know, you're in the neighborhood and you're getting in kind of uh, scuffles with other people and you had a big friend with you, you felt a lot bigger than you were, right? And, and because I knew they were with me, I'm good. But I would, you know, say, oh, yeah. I'm going to make sure he's back there. Oh, yeah. Well, say that to my face. Say that to my face. Or like, well, I would like to fight on the basketball court because everything's so close. And you know you had at least four guys that would come help you. Real fast. You know, I was always really brave there. But here's the reality. Much more so with God the Father. He's with you. He's beside you. He's actually ahead of you. He's in you. You're good. Everything's going to be all right. Lastly, our almighty God, our Father God, is maker of heaven and earth. See, we believe that everything traces its existence back to God. The creed tells us who God is, the Father Almighty. It also now tells us what he has done. He's made heaven and earth. This is also how Genesis starts, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created so in the beginning, there's God. And this belief that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1, establishes all kinds of truths. This is why this is important that we know this. It establishes that God is eternal, that God exists prior to creation, that God is infinite. God's not bound by the heavens and the earth. God is omnipotent. He spoke and creation came into existence. God is independent. He doesn't rely on anything or anyone in creation. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. It's foundational to everything else we believe about all created order. As a matter of fact, all of Genesis 1 and 2 actually point us to the artist behind the art, not just the fact that the things that God made was good. When it says in Genesis 1 that he made the waters and the stars and every living creature that crawls on the ground and flies in the air and swims in the ocean and all those things, all the wildlife. And in Genesis 2 when he talks about creating man and woman and we can go, we see all of that and we see all that it's good. And it, but it's not just that we see those good things. We see the good God that made it all. We see the artist behind the art. 
That's how we meet the Almighty Father who's behind all of the good things that we see in creation. All of the creative things, all of the crazy things. That's why you can stand in in a mountain range and just marvel at God's creation. But you just don't marvel at it. You marvel at the God who made it. Or the the crazy things that you can see in in nature and go, wow, that is just bizarre. I mean, what was God thinking when he made that? We were fishing this weekend and... And uh, we were talking about the different types of fish that we were, could possibly catch, which most of the ones we talked about we didn't catch. But um, and we caught a shark and we caught some things, but not stuff that we could eat. But there was one that we talked that Will told me about. It was called a sheep, sheephead fish. I'm like, I've never heard of this thing in my life. And he shows me a picture. It is the ugliest fish I've ever seen in my life. They have, like, real teeth. Google it. It's like, I'm not lying. It's like you caught a, 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 a relative that needs braces or something. Like, you're just like, what is that? I'm kind of glad we didn't catch it. But in the beginning, God made us in his image, not the other way around. As a maker of heaven and earth, we're affirming that everything, including our lives, belong to God. He knows best as to what they should look like and how our lives should operate as the created ones. God's claim on us is, in fact, that we have to face that he is our Lord. He's not just Savior, but he's Lord. He made us, but the Word says that he made us for himself. And like anything else, the creator of something knows best how something is supposed to operate. He's the creator of heavens and earth and everything in it, which includes you and me. I think oftentimes the difficulty for us is we go through life and we think we're being made more into the image of God and actually we're making God more into our image and we can't tell the difference. That's, 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 that's tough. That's, that's, a, that's a reality that I don't ever want to find myself in because the truth of the matter is and what we affirm is there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, does not cry, mine. And not like a toddler mine, but mine, it really is mine. This is why what we believe about God is foundational to lordship, because that means your life belongs to him. If we believe God is sovereign over all, then every area of our life, every area that we have, everything that we do practically and functionally belongs to God and comes under his authority. Or if we don't, then we really don't believe what we say we believe. Everything has a purpose as well. Everything is uniquely created, intentionally created by God, including you. You were not a mistake. Genesis says it over and over again. What God makes is good, and you are made in his image, so you are the goodest of good. And we affirm that God created us, that he wants what's best for us, and the Bible is loud and clear again and again about God's delight in you, his pleasure in you, his desire to commune with you, his great love for you. And I know it's cliche, but it's important to affirm because maybe somebody in here is having a hard time believing it because of your understanding of God as Father. But when we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we affirm what is true. And this is this, God loves you. He loves you. Let me close with saying that what we affirm about God as a loving father and a good creator doesn't just affect us personally. As a matter of fact, its greatest outworking is how our understanding of this belief affects how we view and treat other people. How we demonstrate what we believe about the love of the father towards others who are made in his image or others that have him as father as well. 
See, remember, belief leads to actions, and actions demonstrate belief. And if we believe God is our Father, then that makes other believers my brothers and sisters in Christ with the same Father. And that should have an obvious impact on our interactions with one another. You're not just somebody out there. You're actually a son and a daughter of the King. You're actually a brother and sister of mine because we have the same Father. And so we're supposed to love one another because of that. And in a week where we're reminded in our world about how we don't really love each other, in a week where we're reminded that the dividing walls that Jesus came to tear down, we have a real ease and ability to build them back up, where there's loss of life, there's a total callousness and a lack of empathy or compassion towards people that may have lost their lives. Where there's just a lack of compassion or empathy, period, about loss. And then where we find ourselves dividing over things politically or racially or ethnically because of the color of our skin or the backgrounds of our parents and our families, and we find all of these things, and we find ourselves on opposite sides, and what God says, no, exactly, if you affirm that you believe that I'm your father, and if that person over there is my son and my daughter as well, then you don't have any right to do anything but to love them as your brother and sister. Galatians 3 says, for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul's not denying the distinctions, but what he is saying is there's something that supersedes our distinctions and still makes us one in our diversity. And that's the fact that we have the same father. Your dad's my dad. And that that changes things. He's saying there are identities that we have. It doesn't mean that they'll go away. It means that you'll keep your nationality, your status, your gender. They don't cease to exist. A Jew remains a Jew, a Gentile, a Gentile, a man, a man, a woman, a woman. Or if you move it forward to today, a, a, a white person, a white person, a black person, a black person, Hispanic, Asian, whatever the case may be, it doesn't change those things. But what it does do is now because God is our Father, having become one with God as His sons and daughters, Christians now belong to each other in such a way that the distinctions that's once divided us, lose their divisive power, and instead we become even more powerful as a diverse body, different but one, through the power of God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We become a new spiritual family, the body of Christ. And the same divisions and problems that exist today can be brought to the cross as well. And we're on a mission to do that as the body of Christ here at In Focus. We have to ask ourselves, and maybe you should ask yourself this today, who have you not been treating as a brother or sister created and loved by God, your father, and their father? And that would include 1 John 3 that says, by this we know love, that we laid down, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And this affirms what we've been saying all along. What you believe, right, informs your actions, and your actions demonstrate your belief. And finally, the other way that this affects us as a community of brothers and sisters, it affects how we love one another as a spiritual family and our ability to correct each other when we are in sin. 
so we don't like to talk about that. But the responsibility to correct our family who are being led astray by sin is also a part of our responsibility as a family. By the authority of God's word at creation, we've been made his children through Jesus Christ. Therefore, right belief in God, making us a part of a new family, gives us the responsibility to remind one another about the seriousness of sin. We should love one another enough to both receive and give correction concerning sin in our lives. So the question would be, who are you allowing to speak truth into your life as a brother or sister in Christ with the same Father who has the same hope and purpose for you to bring glory and honor to Christ through your life? Who do you need on the other side to remind of the goodness of God and the seriousness of sin, not because you want to judge them, but because of your great love for them, for your brother and sister in Christ, because you don't want to see their life destroyed by sin? It's not loving to go, well, I hope they work it out. Well, I hope they figure it out. No, if God has put you in that family with them and they are in your family as a brother or sister in Christ, you have a responsibility to love them towards Christ by pointing out things that would lead them away from him. God being Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, means all of this and so much more. So when we worship today and we come to the end and we start singing about sea of victory, that we have a victory in God the Father, we have a Father, like I said, who it's going to be good, everything's going to be all right, even what the enemy meant for harm, he could take and use it for our good. Like he's almighty Father, he's not just little wimpy Father, he's almighty Father, so it doesn't matter what's going on, he's got victory in your life at some point in time, so you let your belief in God as Father elevate your place of worship, your worship to a place of greater intimacy putting aside everything in this world that might cloud that. That you let your belief in God as almighty encourage your wholehearted reliance and trust in an all-powerful God who's an all-powerful Father and is more than able to do whatever He wants to. And you let the fact that He made everything remind you of His sovereign control over every minute detail and minutia of your life. Every situation and every circumstance in the world that we see in the news that breaks our hearts that we can't control, God is still in control. And He's still propelling things to His glory and to His purposes. And you let this belief reform or shape how you allow your spiritual family to speak into areas of your life that need correcting and that you love your brothers and sisters enough to speak into their life to help them walk a path that honors God and not a path of destruction. That's what we say we believe when we believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So I want to do this together. I want us to read the Apostles' Creed together and affirm this belief as a church, as a body, as a family. Here we go. We're reading together. I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And just for clarification, Catholic little c means the church universal, the body of Christ all over, everywhere that belong to him through Jesus Christ. 
You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.